Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 68, and we have chapters 45, 46, 47, and 48 of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson to discuss. Uh, Paul, how are you? I'm fantastic. Good. Elliot? Also doing fantastic, ready to talk more Oathbringer. I feel like we've been getting so much good stuff lately. I go through the weeks like just eager for recording nights, like, ooh, ooh I got to talk about it. We do have some good stuff uh, this week, which we'll talk about here in a second. Do you guys have two words to summarize the episode? Paul? I do. I do have two words. Can I hear? Yes, you may. Thank you. For, um, so my two words are inspiration and drama. <clears throat> okay. Inspiration and drama. Elliot? I'm going to take my two words and smoosh them together into one. I'm going to take friends and enemies, and my one word will be frenemies. Frenemies. All right, let's use these three and a half words and talk about our episode. All right. This might be the first episode where we do not have a point of view chapter from either Kaladin, Shallan, or Dalinar. We have four chapters, and none of them are by any of our three main characters. What are you guys' uh, takeaway from that? We were getting into some niche, care like they're not, they're not. They are secondary characters. I'll just say that. They're secondary characters. And we've got four chapters from point of view from them. You think they're secondary characters? <laughs> right now they are. How do you think they would feel? You should tell them to their face. I should. should tell, see what tell you, Yas, see what Yas know what I would character. do. Yeah. yeah. Should be so mad at you. I didn't actually think about it that way because even though they are secondary characters, don't hit me yasna there it's not like side plot though it still right. is like main plot stuff so i'm still tying it into the rest of it but you're absolutely right we don't have a kaladin or shallan or down our point of view this this is kind of odd we have two moash point of view chapters we have a scar point of view chapter which i'm fairly confident this is our first scar point of view chapter and we have a yasna point of view chapter I did, and I didn't actually realize it until you mentioned it that that we don't have our main characters. Uh, but my two cents, right quick, is that I'm very happy and excited about it. I think it's really cool, just because we're seeing them woven in so much more to the story. Um, and also, I've just heard it alluded to that, like, especially in the fourth book in Rhythm of War, it's like. You have so many point of view chapters, it just like kind of keeps going. And I was kind of excited for that. I'm excited to see from all of our characters, so I'm stoked. Cool. Uh, your two words, Paul, what do they mean and why? So inspiration is talking about our Scar chapter. Um, he really inspires Lynn um, to wield Stormlight and, and kind of in turn... Uh, enables or unlocks some of his own ability there, which was really cool to see. 
Um, my other word is drama, which I almost, I almost messed up and made this two words because I wanted to it to be like spren drama or something like that. But this is just referring to we see a little bit from our ink spren person there, our little other bizarre kiddo, and uh, he doesn't really like. We get, we get some drama, some sprint drama between him and, and all the other groups. And so, yeah. Messy, you know? And Elliot? I really like those words, Paul. It touches on some good stuff. I almost picked something like inspiration because I totally keyed into that with the Scar chapter as well. But instead, I went with frenemies because I think we had a couple examples of people that are interacting in some weird ways where I'm not, I can't tell if they're full on enemies or if they're friends or if they're frenemies. The spren is one of those, just like you were talking about Paul with the ink spren and how they apparently don't like cryptics or honor spren. So there's that. And then in the Moash chapters, we've got the Parshman and I'm starting to get confused about who is who in the Parshman world and who's on what side and who I'm supposed to be caring about and rooting for and who's the bad guys. Like the perspective is is getting shifted on me. And I don't know if Moash is now friends with some of these Parshmen or not friends. It's all over the map. Yeah. They're, the blinds are certainly being, being blurred there because back in the way of Kings, we had a, you know, our cut and dry Parshman, bad. Or Parshendi, bad. Yep. Bridgman, good. And now we've got, you know, Moash talking to Parshman. Are we are we rooting for Moash still? Are we rooting for the Parshman? What's happening here? Exactly. So. All right. Let's start talking. Yeah, we can start talking before chapter 45. Moash gets dropped off in Revelar which is a city pretty much in the smack dab of center of Kolinar. Um, and it becomes pretty evident to Moash pretty quickly that the Parshendi, the Voidbringers, they are beginning a siege on Alethkar. Um, and sorry, Kolinar, specifically the capital. And there's all sorts of manual labor that he... Is, is seeing happening uh, between 45 and 48 and at, at first glance his perception of the void bringers and the fused is that they treat they treat people pretty fairly fairly um it's not till he has a closer look later on in chapter 48 that he realizes it's not that's not even the, the case completely either because they start to abuse and um you know, be overlords to the Parshman, the awakened Parshman. So there's some interesting dynamics here, Elliot, and your your word kind of um, summed that up. So what were your guys' thoughts on 45 and then pushing to 48? I continue to be surprised by the Parshman because everything we were told, I feel like all the way through Way of Kings and even through Words of Radiance leading up until the battle was that the Voidbringers are coming, the, the old gods are returning, they're going to devour the land, they're just going to sweep through and decimate everybody. And sometimes it feels like that's the motive here, and then other times it's not. 
And the fact that they're treating Moash and the other human slaves very respectfully and almost kindly in some ways, that they're clearly slaves, but they're not being mean to them or abusive anyway. They let them, you know, pick their jobs that they want to do and, you know, other things like that is like, this is not fitting into the mold at all of where I thought this was going. I pretty much agree with Elliot on that. I didn't I didn't fully expect this. For one, I was kind of surprised to be getting like these Moash perspective episodes or uh, chapters. <laughs> um but yeah, I I don't have too much to add, I guess, from forty five. Something there. something I do want to highlight here that doesn't <clears throat> excuse me. Doesn't quite have to do with Parshman versus humans, it's still the dynamic of dark eyes versus light eyes. And you see it here in chapter 45, you see it in 46, and you see it in 48. And the amount of the amount of times that light eyes is mentioned specifically is it's being brought to the forefront of light eyes versus dark eyes, where Moash in the back of his head still holds this huge grudge against light eyes and he wants to see them do the manual labor that the parchment have the have always had to do where he sees this guy who's got pale green eyes he's a light eyes obviously a lord of of Revelar the city that's been taken over here and he volunteers to carry water and that gives Moash a little bit of you know satisfaction in in the back of his mind it's like you know he should carry water after everything he's done to the dark eyes. So the Parshman getting back at him for us, like that that's great. So, and then chapter 46, Kaladin gets called a bright Lord or, and a, and a, a light eyes by maybe a scribe. I don't remember who calls him a light eyes and Kaladin's late to opening the gate for, um, the opening the oath gate and the scribe says you know like typical light eyes keeping people waiting on uh on everybody and uh scar's like you better not hear or you better not let kaladin hear you say that about him because he'd be really upset if you called him a light eyes and you know typical light eyes keeping everybody waiting so there's there's some prejudice still happening here this was really ironic i i, I thought this was super funny actually the the specific part because just as the reader, we know how much turmoil and like inner grief there is f with Kaladin for Light Eyes throughout his whole trope. That was super evident in probably our first book and still so in the second book. We haven't seen it as much in this third book. I feel like we've kind of moved on from that. But here we like see someone discounting him as just like, oh, some, some idiot Light Eyes. And it's really funny to see because... I don't know. He's he's getting stereotyped over something he is like almost the exact opposite of. And I think light or irony is the right word for it too, because Kaladin even has a moment in forty six, if I remember correctly, where he he makes some kind of comment about it. It feels wrong to have light eyes joining Bridge Four or something like that, because they've got some you know recruits that are or potential recruits that are coming in that are light eyes, and you know the the other bridgemen are kind of looking at Kaladin like dude, you realize that you're a light eyes, right? Like it's just that, that deep set, like, you know, thought in Kaladin's head of, oh no, not them. Right. Kaladin even has a line where it's like, 
he mentions offhand and he says, oh, maybe I should have said that lighters weren't allowed to join. And yeah. because they're not, you know, they're not allowed here in bridge four. And then somebody says, well, what happens when we all start, you know, being nice training it we're gonna be like you didn't think that through real quick because we're all about to be light eyes so why does that matter and they're writing off renarin yet again renarin's in bridge four he's a light eyes i think somebody points that out in the scene like oh what about renarin oh oh he doesn't count like renarin seems like he never counts poor guy sad day it's in a good way and bad way which i think is kind of funny they're like Renarin doesn't get like yeah he can be in bridge four he like doesn't count as a light eyes, but in the same respect it's like he's not looked at in the positive light of a light eyes as well. Mm-hmm. I think he's this true like neutral that's kind of forgotten about. But remember it's it's an odd like dynamic. But I think it's really neat. All right, pop quiz time. Uh oh, could either of you? have told me anything about Scar before this chapter? Um, I think all yes, I could probably tell you <laughs> he is in Bridge 4. He, I kind of had lumped him in my mind next to Moash in like the doesn't like Kaladin but Kaladin wins him over. He's really good at fighting category. Okay. But I don't think I could tell you anything else besides that. I, I agree. So so I, I remember reading The Way of Kings, and what I remember most was kind of thinking of almost like a pecking order of, like, fighters. I would think of, like, Kaladin, and there's, like, Moash. We didn't, don't see that much of Teft, but I always put him in there with Moash. I kind of viewed them as, like, the good and bad versions of, like, a number two almost, or mm-hmm. next in rank fighter. And then Scar was kind of with them, but maybe not as notable. I thought we had some time. I could be making this up or just totally remembering this wrong. I would have to go back and look at our earlier episodes. Uh, but what didn't we have a talk that there was there was allusion to Scar's past and that he may have been like a shard bearer or something like that? And I thought that opened up a DF to be a light eyes to be a shard bearer conversation. But I could be. I, I'm probably way off. I don't remember well enough to say. But. I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think you are correct because Scar comes with to do the training with the shard blades in the war camps once they're all once they've become bodyguards and oh my gosh, what's his name? Zyle. Zyle. Yeah, Zyle says, "Hey, you should train with shard blades cuz Zeth's got a shard blade. You're going to fight a, get up against one eventually. Come train with shard blades." And Scar comes along with that. So he's he is kind of that second tier behind Moash of like the lieutenant fighter guy of you need a you need a champion this is your guy. So what and then what were you guys' thoughts on him during this chapter where he's he's really having trouble finding his spot in Newbridge for he's not be able to um suck in stormlight he's kind of resigned himself to the support squad by the end of the chapter of okay rock i'm gonna gonna help you you know cook and clean and all that sort of thing and that's gonna be my lot because i'm not i'm not sucking in stormlight and then eventually he does which we'll get to here in a second but he's really trying to find his spot he was the fighter guy and now everybody else can ha- use stormlight and so they're better than he is and so he has to resign himself to the support squad 
This was a, wanna... at, at a minimum a very funny scene because isn't Rock like you're getting nowhere near my stew? Like, yes. Like I can't let a uh, Ersic Lowlander mess this up for me or all this stuff, um, which was pretty funny. But I, I do have to say I, I I'm gonna give props to Scar. I've never thought negatively of Scar, but I've also never been like, oh, he's a a hero or a great figure. He just hasn't been that notable. But in this, it shows that he he seems like a a great guy. Like at least to notice or kind of not be too ambitious of things. Where like he's stepping down and still wanting to feel like a support role. Uh, just says a lot about his character and also his like motivation with Lynn and and things like that uh, was pretty cool. So it was really nice to see. I I too thought this was a great chapter. I love the little mini journey that Scar goes on from the start of this chapter to the end where the start, he's just trying so hard to get there when everyone else is getting there and he's not like, you just, you can feel that frustration. You can empathize with him there. And then the moment where he like gets the payoff, the moment where he gets the stormlight is the moment where he just accepts. Maybe that's not who I am. Maybe, maybe I will just be the support. Somebody's got to do it. Like, just like you said, Paul, like the character it takes to do that, to not, you know, latch on to that or get bitter about the fact that everyone else is getting these awesome powers and I'm not. The fact that he can, one, talk Lynn through that journey. Like he just sits down and, and talks her through, well, you know, why do you really want to become a Windrunner and like inspire her and then in turn inspire himself to that? Like that was really cool. That was really cool to see Scar. This was like a whole little, you know, character lesson or, or hero's journey all packed into one chapter it felt like i want to read it real quick because it is pretty compact so take a sip of your tea there paul and i'll bless your ears here this is scar talking to start stop right there you want to be a wind runner more than anything lynn whispered why because i want to soar not good enough kaladin he wasn't thinking about being left out or how great it would be to fly he was thinking about saving the rest of us, saving me. Why do you want to be in the Windrunners? Because I want to help. I want to do something something other than stand around waiting for the enemy to come to us. Well, you have a chance, Lynn. A chance nobody has had for ages. <clears throat> a chance in millions. Either you seize it, and in doing so decide you're worthy, or you leave and give up. But if you leave, you don't get to complain. As long as you keep trying, there's a chance. When you give up, that's when the dream dies. Then Lynn accepts that and keeps trying and eventually starts glowing. And then, later down the, uh, down the page, it says, Scar took a long breath. Long, satisfied breath. Well, that was two he'd helped so far, counting Rock. He could, he could live with that, couldn't he? And it's not till he accepts that role of fostering other people to Stormlight that he can really do it himself. Um, so it's all about finding that deeper meaning of what it means to be a Windrunner's, you know, helping others and protecting others. Because that's what Lynn said. She wants to help. She wants to be able to do something and not just wait for the enemy to come to them. And then Scar said, oh, no, I am just satisfied with helping others. I, like satisfy their calling that's when he begins to to suck in stormlight so we're getting some rules here of how to be a windrunner 
I just love how that fits in with the Windrunner ethos, just that whole outwardly focused, it's not about me, it's about the people around me, it's about protecting those that, that can't protect themselves, like all of that. It just all fits together so nicely. It's just so well written, so well written. I agree. I am very grateful for this chapter, just because, like I said, I didn't have necessarily strong feelings for Scar. My my impression of Scar is he's the character who, on first impression, you think is going to be bad or something. I mean, his name is Scar. You're like, okay, he's going to be edgy and have this super dark personality or something like that. And he, he's just kind of a... He is an exemplary... Ex, exemplary... Is that how you say it? He's an exemplary member of Bridge 4. Well, yeah, I think Scar just went from, like, bottom two on my members of Bridge 4 tier list to, like, top three in the course of, like, eight pages. That's how far he just came. Yeah. Anything more from 46? No further questions, Your Honor. Just one quick thing before we move on is we're kind of just skipping over Elaine, but that's kind of like expected because everybody skips over Elaine. Everybody kind of forgets that he's there and he's still there, that he's a Parshman and he's part of Bridge 4, notably has not been able to suck in Stormlight. And up until this chapter, the women have had trouble sucking in Stormlight until Lynn figures it out and Shallan, of course, but... We're talking about the Windrunners here. And so Relaine is really the only one... By the end of this chapter, Relaine is the only one ha still having trouble with with Stormlight. Do you think that's a coincidence or not? Gotta be... It's gotta be important somehow. I think they do mention one other member of Bridge 4 that hasn't, but it's... Um, Dabid? Isn't that Dabid. the guy that has like brain damage and he doesn't talk? He hasn't talked since the very first bridge run you've ever seen in Way of Kings. Yeah, so he, he could be like an exception that he's maybe damaged and yeah, who knows. But yeah, Relaine, I did notice that he he can't breathe in Stormlight. So is this a Parshman thing? Can they not wield Stormlight? Does Stormlight not interact with them the same way it does a human? Like those are the, some of the questions popping into my brain as I read that. I have two guesses to this. One is exactly what you just said. He's a parchment. They can't just suck in stormlight like like the the humans do. Um my only other thought is it almost seems like there's an a, a method of like morale behind them being able to suck in stormlight. Like Lopin was our first person to do that. Uh in the Bridgeford crew. And I feel like he is also our most like just enthused outgoing, like biggest personality. Mm -hmm. Um, and then at the end, the only person who hadn't kind of was like scar who we've seen kind of take a more like passive approach. I feel, or like, you know, he's tried all this stuff, but he's also been, I feel like one of the most quiet, or at least we haven't seen much from him. Um, and so I'm wondering if Relaine, it's part of just like the social difficulties, right? How Relaine struggled to feel like he fit in or things like that because things were different because he's a parchment, which makes sense in our story. But I don't know if it's a thing where he can, 
and is just like maybe discounting it as like, oh, I'm different. I'm a parchment. I probably can't. And so he isn't like making a huge step or effort or hasn't had that breakthrough. Um, so, so as you were my... talking, yeah. as you were talking, Paul, I thought of a third option though. Okay. What if, so, so Relaine was always like the, the double agent guy, right? Mm-hmm. He, he actually was like a Parshendi pretending to be a Parshman. Correct. And then he, it turns out that, oh no, I'm actually with bridge four. Like they, I'm fuzzy on the details, but he makes a decision at some point, basically, that nope, I'm not joining the Parshendi. I'm staying with Bridge Four, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And f- from that point on, I've trusted him. He he kind of that that pulls him into the oh, okay, you're a good guy. We trust you. What if though he's actually like a triple agent, and he actually is still playing for the Parshendi people? What if he is like a fused, and he can't wield Stormlight because he's a wielder of the dark stuff, and he's playing it off as I'm still a, just a parchment, and he like still is the undercover agent person. Like that could be, that could I be, mean, or maybe is... maybe it's just something where he isn't because he knows if he does, it will like give away or something like that. Right, right. Um, that could be. As of right now, I am still convinced that he's on our team. His. I was re- trying to remember where his switch, I guess you should call it, is. And it was whenever all the <clears throat> Parshendi were first getting Stormform, and there was just all the chaos that broke out over there. And he was just like, I'm out. Like him and I think some others were like, um, we're we're getting out of this situation. And, and he went to, to Bridge 4. Um, but I do, I'm going to keep that in the back of my head, though, with the with the next reading we do. Because if there were ever hints dropped in there, it's very possible that he could be another yeah. a, a triple or quadruple agent, you know? We can just keep and, going. So. And this might be a, a tinfoil hat conspiracy that I'm, you know, spinning off here. But I, I think I, too, am going to maybe slot this aside as maybe we watch out for clues there. I, I'm with you. I think he is with Bridge 4 because that's part of the whole Bridge 4 theme, right? Is they accept anybody and anybody can be, you know, Bridge 4. They're going to protect you no matter what. So if he if he really is still a sleeper agent, like that would be big, I feel like. So I'm gonna slot this in as like a crazy wild conspiracy theory, but it's another option, I think. Good stuff. Chapter forty seven. All right, this is our Yasna point of view chapter, and I wanna start it by reading the beginning of the chapter. If you would let me. You have my permission. Thank you. I am Talanel Elin, Herald of War. The time of the return. The desolation is near at hand. We must prepare. You have you will have forgotten much, following the destruction of the times past. Kalak will teach you cast bronze, if you have forgotten this. We will soul cast blocks of metal to, directly for you. I wish we could teach you steel. But casting is so much easier than forging. You must have something we can produce quickly. Your stone tools will not serve against what is to come. Vedel can train your surgeons, and Yezrian will teach you leadership. So much is lost between your turns. I will train your soldiers. We should have time. Ishar keeps talking about a way to keep information from being lost following the desolations, and we have discovered something unexpected. We will use that 
Searchbinders to act as guardians, knights. The coming days will be difficult, but with training, humanity will survive. You must bring me to your leaders. The other heralds should join us soon. I think I am late this time. I think, I fear, oh God, that I have failed. No, this is not right, is it? How long has it been? Where am I? I'm Talonelli Lynn, Herald of War. The time of the turn, the desolation is near at hand. It kind of has an, uh, an ellipsis there as if he's going to repeat exactly what he just said. So, is this... Question for you guys. Is this boring for for you guys finding out more about Heralds? Is this, like, boring you guys or is this exciting? I've been super excited for this. Um, as soon as this happened and I knew it was Telenel Elin... Uh, I got super excited with this chapter. Um, with him, it is kind of odd because there's a lot that we can learn. There's a whole lot, like, in that, what you just read. I'm assuming those are the other um, heralds he's referring to. Was it Velen and Yezrian? Um, and and another Kalak. He mentions somebody else, too. Mm-hmm. He mentions a lot and kind of what they do. And I feel like we can even get a good picture um, of like which herald did what or was what order or things like that. And I do think it's very exciting. I think it's... coming out of Words of Radiance, heralds were one of our big things, right? That we wanted to learn about? I think so. It's I, I've enjoyed it, the little bits and nuggets we're getting about, about heralds. I was also super intrigued, which we've talked about it briefly, and it made me more concerned reading this, um, because he mentions, what is it, copper and steel, um, and those are just two of the, like, alamancy metals from the Mistborn series. It's just part of their magic system, like their Stormlight or whatever, and it has just gotten me very intrigued to hear more, if he says more, of, like, how that could somehow play together or if maybe in like so a lot of his struggle and when all the heralds are together or whatever they they're in damnation or stuff like that and I, i've wondered like if there's i don't know has he traveled to these other places or is it like is he with people from mistborn in damnation as well like i don't know there's a lot of stuff like crazy stuff um and, but those like were definitely red, red flags that went off in my mind um, for our viewers. I'm almost done with the first Mistborn book. Uh, I'm not super far into it, but I'm almost done with that. So I'm learning bit by bit. But that was just something that stuck out to me, which probably isn't that significant. But I, I, I noted, and I'm going to pay attention to it as we go forward. Let's see. You haven't learned by now that the those... Random like half sentences are actually important. You're like, eh, it might not. It's probably not important, but I'm glad you paid attention to it. Mm-hmm. It definitely like as soon as I I heard it when reading, I was like, he said steel, like, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's going to be significant, and that means Telenel is Kelsier or something like that, you know. And so there we are. You heard it here first, folks. That's actually not true. My actual prediction is that Kelsier is Kaladin. Um, so. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. 
We get to meet Ivory in this chapter. Like properly, we've seen him before, but we haven't really spent any time with him. So, what are you guys' thoughts on Ivory? He's an interesting one that balances out our cast of Spren characters. I, I, I picture him. He, he's definitely got to have like a British accent. He's like the posh, like slightly pompous. Oh well, yes, of course, you know, sort of, you know, voice. That's totally what I imagine. He's he's wearing a suit. I don't know, I don't honestly remember how he's how he's described, but in my mind, he's he's clearly like wearing a suit. That's all he know, is described he, as wearing a suit. So okay, perfect. That's that's the image I had in my in my head. So. Yeah, no, I thought I thought it was I thought it was great actually, and we learned some interesting bits from him, which was which was cool too. Would you like to know how I pictured him in my mind? Yes, <laughs> I have ever since we like, I just haven't shaken this image from the like first time we get a glimpse of him at the beginning of Words of Radiance, right? Is that what it is? Yes, and it talked about him being like kind of an ink blob, and I thought of like Ink Mario from Super Mario Sunshine. <laughs> I don't know if that rings a bell or if uh-huh. y'all have an image of that. But the like shadow inky Mario, that's with holding a paintbrush, that's exactly what I have been envisioning this whole time, including like currently. Totally. So it's that's actually fairly accurate to what I have in my mind too, because he's described as black marble if somebody spilled black oil on it. So it's like black on black on shimmery on black, like very, very, very dark, but also like glinty at the same time. So I don't know how mm-hmm. that works, but. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think it's super cool. I always get really excited to see a new sprint. Now that we know that, that each different type of sprint is very, very different. We've seen a wide range of, of sprint. Um, and I would say, honestly, I think the two things I get most excited for are new sprint and Herald information. We haven't really seen other Heralds much, but I'm assuming I won't have the same kind of feeling of like, Oh, this is a new Herald. I'm, I can't wait to see what all I hear. They say, uh, and with the sprint too, like I can't wait to see what they say or what they sound like and stuff like that. That's of course not counting Zeth cameos, right? Zeth cameos are like a whole other category. Mm-hmm. That's less of like a a new inf- information curiosity, That's I okay. guess. For now, because I've I've come to accept that I'm not going to get my Zeth answers now. I am very sad to admit it, but I'm not going to get my Zeth the Zeth answers I want now. I'm probably going to wait till like book five or something. So we're coming up on the end of part two of Oathbringer pretty quickly here and we haven't seen Zeth at all. We've heard him mentioned like maybe once and since then we have not even like heard of him. So one thing on the spren side of things, I was very curious to learn about the ink spren's perceptions of the other spren, like patterns cryptics and sills honor spren. Ivory doesn't really have great things to say about either. He's all kind of skeptical about the cryptic. You're like, oh yeah, well we can't really trust Shalon because you know she's got a cryptic with her, and then which seems to be kind of the general consensus of you know impressions of cryptics is nobody trusts them apparently, which I feel like is a little harsh on Pattern. I I feel like Pattern's a, a pretty trusty guy, right? I mean he likes his lies, but I don't know. He says some useful stuff. I've enjoyed him so far. 
Yeah. His little buzzing. Mm. No mating. And no mating. <laughs> and the but his what surprised me more was his impression, his thoughts on the honor sprint. He had a very negative view of them as well, and he hints at some interesting stuff as if they're like a like a warlike group in Shadesmar. Of like, oh yeah, the honor sprint go around you like conquering the world or something like that. It's I didn't I didn't feel like we were getting the whole story there, but it was enough to make me go like, huh, what? Do any spren like each other? It's like <laughs> we're getting the we're getting the like the Stormfather super upset with Sill. Sill doesn't like Pattern. Pattern doesn't like Sill. Ivory doesn't like anybody. Like you know, do, do, does anybody get along in Shadesmar? Or does everybody you know just beat each other up all the time? Maybe when they were saying unite them, <laughs> he's talking about they the spren referring to the spren. Yeah, we'll see. And then in turn, the spren will unite to the world you know we'll see um but that is an interesting point because i've assumed there was a beef between the cryptics and the honor sprint or maybe there was like a halves or like a group of like oh this is the cryptics and whatever and they're the bad guys in the sprint world no one else likes them but we've never seen the others we know that sill and pattern don't really like each other but we've never heard anyone talk about the other ones. And so this is the first time we see Ivory. And he's like, well, I don't like... Both of them are the worst. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe it is... Maybe they don't like any other spread types. But for my thought before, it was like, okay, Sill or Honor Sprint don't like Cryptics. But the rest are, like, cool. They're They're normal, you know, maybe even allies or something. But I, I feel like another supporting evidence to this all spren don't like each other theory is that I always, I expected like when we first saw Kaladin start to interact with Shalon I thought for sure that like Kaladin and Shalon are going to talk and then like over in the corner Syl and Pattern are going to talk like they're going to go and you'll have a you know, have a little tea and, and chat like I just thought that like spren all coming from Shadesmar they're going to have like a connection like oh there's a spren I'm going to go talk to you know, oh I haven't seen him in a long time you know go talk to him it doesn't seem like they do that it doesn't seem like they interact at all like Kaladin and Shallan are in the same places somewhat frequently now and yet Syl doesn't seem to ever like directly interact with Pattern like that seems really odd to me I was really expecting back in my young naive early Stormlight Archives days that Spren were just gonna be all these spirits that like were all buddies and that doesn't seem like the case at all yeah like when when their humans are sleeping, they all get together and chat. And you know, my yeah. human, my human did this today. You know, but no, they don't. They don't seem to talk. Apparently not. One thing I noticed in this chapter, it's not sprint related, or is it sprint related? It might be, but it's not on surface. It's not. Yasna has a secret in her past yes, that she does. To. And it's really vague here. It's This is one of those like one-liners, blink and you miss it things. It, there's a reference to like an illness in her childhood that seems to have been important. And that's like it. That's all we get is like this, this ominous illness in her childhood. Like, what, what, what is that about? Paul, did you, did you catch that? Did you hear that? I don't actually remember this. No, I, I didn't catch this at least, at least vividly. 
and I, I know Trevor's not going to tell me anything about it, but now, now I'm on, yeah, he's shaking his head over there. The, the it's got my alarm bells up, my antennas up. I want to, I want to keep a lookout for this now. Cause I, I know, I feel like I'm starting to, to know Mr. Sanderson here. He would not have mentioned this if it wasn't important. So now I got to know what is this mystery illness in Yasna's past? That is a good question. I'm gonna I'm gonna add that to my list of things to look out for as as we go forward. I may go yeah. back and read that again because I don't remember hearing about that. And that could be something really big. I don't know when, if we will get or what Yasna backstory. Um but I would imagine that would be a big part of it probably. If it's mentioned here, I'm assuming it would be a large part of a backstory. Um explanation so ivory ivory seems to be a smarty pants at least that's the impression i get is that he's you know he's a he's a scholar like yasna is he likes to know his facts and you know explore his explore his options however one of the first things we learn about him is he has misinformation for yasna back in yasna and ivory's formative years and Yasna's asking him a bunch of questions. Ivory says explicitly, the Windrunners will not return. Because the Honor Spren are not going to come back. And uh, that's just wrong. Because Kaladin's one of the first ones to, to come back. And it's because of Syl. Now, we've had a couple of these implications that Syl is the exception to to the rule where she's not not a lot are going to follow her because the Stormfather's upset with her that she she went to to Kaladin Stormfather's convinced that Kaladin's going to kill her which he almost does in Words of Radiance so um the Windrunners have returned but there may not be that many more coming besides Kaladin and his squires We we also got that strange scene from Rock's perspective where Rock the the Windrunners are all training and Rock sees like the entourage of Spren all watching them. And the impression I got from that is those were honor Spren. The thought being like, oh, maybe they're waiting for candidates. But the the very like I don't know, standoffish approach that seemed to be portrayed there does make me feel like Sill is the the word I was thinking of as an anomaly. It seems like mm. she's the she's different. And it, it, yeah, it makes me wonder if, is a lot of what's happening all because Syl did what she did? Did she kind of break all the rules and set a lot of things into motion? I'm, I'm kind of wondering. There's also that other Teft Spren. We don't know if Teft has a, an oh, honor yeah. Spren yet or not, but we know that Teft does have a Spren and he has set oaths. So he has bonded a Spren and he, she appeared to look like she appeared to have some descriptions like an honor spend, but we don't know that for sure. All right. A big mic drop in this episode is Yasna knows what caused the recreants. And Ivory has been saying, yo, we can't, 
we can't tell people because you're you're weird, Yasna. You you act like a spren. You follow rules. If we tell everybody else, they're gonna freak out like they did last time. So Ivory knows, Yasna knows, Wit knows. Wit's the one that told Yasna, we'll find out in this chapter, and the Stormfather knows what caused the Recreans. I this this one this one caught me off guard. Like, wait a second. Yasna knows and she hasn't told anyone? Like, we've been told, we've been hinted at, we've been shown that this is such a pivotal moment in history, and it's so important that the Stormfather won't even tell Dalinar, one of the most committed Knights Radiant we've seen, what this is, because he's afraid Dalinar's going to just turn away and say, oh, if that happened, I'm out. And yet Yasna knows, and she hasn't tapped out and said, oh no, that, that breaks it for me, I can't do this. But it's also not something she's willing to tell anyone Right. Like, what in the world could this be? It it is something very niche there that Yasna didn't turn away from her oaths, but she's also right. not willing to tell anyone else because she doesn't trust anyone else with it. Exactly. It's yeah, it's obviously not it's not easy to tell people, otherwise she would have. If it was something simple relatively simple she could just be like oh yeah don't worry it's, it's not a big deal it was just this it's not that it's bigger than that but she's still there and she doesn't even seem to be treating it like that importantly it's like ivory's the one that says hey we got to tell people and yasna no no we'll, we'll tell them some other day like i gotta sit and think about this one for a while because what in the world could fit into all these you know the venn diagram the, the circle in the middle of this is is very small This has my brain turning quite a bit. Yeah. I think I'm making a lot of comparisons or connections that I shouldn't, which is a very common thing for me to do, um, or that I honestly don't think has any significance. Um, I'm seeing a, not a parallel, but maybe a connection point between Shalon and Yasna, and also, I guess, their Spren. Um... So just, I, I want to try and get a couple things straight right quick. So Shalon's a Lightweaver. Yasna is an Elf Scholar. They are bordered, right? Like, they share one of the things, don't they? Correct. Is it Illumination or the... The other one. They they share soul casting. Both of them can okay. soul cast. Yes, that's right. And so I'm wondering if the, like, shared... If, if there are also kind of, like, shared traits between Spren. And I'm wondering if that is the lies and the lying... Um, I could see that being because Yasna, we haven't seen from her perspective or from her past or things like that. Maybe not that it's like a deep hurt necessarily, but she does seem to like withhold information and not share things. Um, that other ways wise may be important. And I feel like that has been a large defining trait of Shalon's character. And so it, it, and also seeing that her spren, we've seen that she, uh, that Ivory has misinformed Yasna, things like that. It's just got my brain turning with that. I don't know what to do with that information, but that that's simply just like where my mind has been going during this conversation and thinking about that. Um, so I guess if we were to, to ask, like, who do we think is going to share? 
like out of the people who know, which is just a couple people. I don't think he also would unless something like monumental happened. Um, because she doesn't trust anyone. Do you okay. maybe, maybe Shalon, maybe, but she doesn't Out of the out of the four we know no. Do you who do you think is gonna share or are we going to find out some somehow else? Are is Dalinar going to figure it out? Is somebody else going to figure it out by themselves? For is it the Stormfather, Wit, and Yasna, and and uh, oh. Ivory? Oh, okay, okay. Um, well, I would say not Ivory because I don't know how he would. I guess, but. I would guess the Stormfather shares with Dalinar at some point, or Dalinar asks a lot of questions and finds out from the Stormfather. Um, I can't see Wit coming and being like, hey guys, here's some important information. By the way. Yeah. He'll sing a song about the recreants, and people will be like, that's not real, right? And he'll be like, I don't know, you tell me. And then <laughs> and then leave. And <laughs> I could totally see that happening, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think regardless of who tells, for plot reasons, I think it's going to be Dalinar who learns it. Because I think that it seems like we're kind of maybe building towards that being a bit of a climax moment for Dalinar, where he's building this, he's leading this huge effort, he's trying everything he can to save the world. Is he going to hit a, a massive crisis where he all of a sudden doubts what he's doing is right. Is he going to get challenged by this revealed truth and think, oh no, is all of this that I've been doing actually not for the good guys or not for the right reasons and have to make that decision? Like I, I kind of feel like that's where this might be building to. So I think it will be Dalinar, whether he worms it out of the Stormfather or somehow figures it out on his own or gets into like a vision he's not supposed to be in and then sees you know whatever happened or... I I don't know how, but I think it'll be Dalinar who has the, the crisis moment. And then he'll learn that Yasna already knows, and then he'll get really mad at her and, you know, all the fallout from that. All the fallout from that. that mm-hmm. All the fallout from that could be like a whole book, but you just say yeah, it yeah, in yeah. one sentence. Like, you know, everything right. that else happens. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Anything else from 47? Negative. All right, chapter 48. And we, we've talked about this, but we can touch on it a little bit more briefly. Um, Moash has met the Parshman that Kaladin kind of, dare I say, allied with um, before he flew off and the Fused figure out that he was the Knight's Radiant. The He's found those same Parshmen, and those Parshmen are slaves because of their interactions with kaladin that they they're punishing those parchment because they were housing a knight's radiant and so they are now slaves and they are not holding anything back they're they have whips they're bleeding a bunch like they're pulling sleds across the bare rock like that can't be fun and moash is the one that steps in here and says hey you need to be better you can't be like us we whipped you your entire life and now you're whipping the parchment like you need to be better than this or else 
you're just going to turn into what we did. So stop. Or what are your guys' reactions to, to this chapter? It seems confusing, but it maybe gives us a hint at how the parchment view the radiance because yeah, the way they treat their slaves is way better than the way they treat these poor parchment who had no idea who Kaladin was and were just being nice to him. Not even, they didn't even really trust him. They just kind of like, oh, oh okay. Now he helped them for, for goodness sake. So yeah, this seems really, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense at all. But maybe this tells us that that's just how like religiously important this is to them maybe that they really do view the radiance as like demons and false gods and things like that like oh you you accidentally helped this demon you're going to get punished for that like is it almost like a theological reason they're doing this maybe right I could see that being the case, but I'm definitely not certain right now. I don't know if I would make a big enough call on that. Um, it is a... I feel like this chapter wasn't... There wasn't as much, but it was still really good. And one thing I I liked is just kind of focusing on Moash. Um, we talked about this briefly earlier, and I feel like a lot of what we've seen is development of all of our bridge four members. Um, and I feel like the Moash from a book ago or a book and a half ago wouldn't have ever stepped up or done anything really. Um, but all of our, our bridge four members have really gone into a, like, not just a leadership role as in like encouraging each other within, but going out and being great examples, like everywhere they go. Um, and, and it's been really cool to see like more impact from them. Um, which also I, I think is just shout out to Brandon Sanderson, just like a a really good way to get an a kind of a next level of in depth investment into this world, and that makes sense. Like, uh, yeah, like like yeah, I'm getting such a, a wide picture of the world and things that are going on, rather than just like. Bridge four, and you only hear about bridge four and see them, like I guess. So, I think that's pretty neat. I want to balance a little bit against the positive things you're saying about Moash because I did see those too. I did really like the fact that Moash stepped in and did something that I totally agree. I don't think he would have done prior to Kaladin's Windrunner influence on him. But there's some negative stuff in this chapter too. I was going to read a, a section of just kind of Moash thinking to himself and justifying his actions to himself on the Shattered Plains. Here's what he says or thinks to himself. What happened at the Shattered Plains wasn't my fault, he thought as he hauled the sledge. I was pulled into it. I can't be blamed. These thoughts comforted him. And that's a, a, a dangerous road there for him if he's kind of going down the path of excusing himself for what he did and trying to rationalize that in his mind and lie to himself that it oh it wasn't my fault it was it was other influences I I, I just did what you know anyone else would do that's that's not a good thing so 
some positive things for Moash and some negative things for Moash for, for me in this chapter. No, yeah, that's definitely, definitely good because if he doesn't, you know, take responsibility for what they, he deserted Kaladin and all of Bridge 4, and he does beat himself up about that in these couple chapters that we've seen him. He's He talks about his Bridge 4 pa- patch that he's been throwing away, and he's got his tattoo on his shoulder as opposed to his forehead like everybody else does. And... um. He, th- he thinks about Kaladin accepting him when nobody else would. and But in this in this chapter where he rescues the these parchment be- getting um, punished and tortured, basically, what is he doing here? He's protecting those who cannot protect themselves, right? This is... If you think back all the way back to the beginning of the Way of Kings, this is exactly where Kaladin was at the speed, even before he got to the Shattered Plains. He was in this slave wagon, and there was other slaves getting tortured, and all he wanted to do was help them until his mind was broken at the Shattered Plains, and then he mended it back with Zill and blah, blah, blah. But way back in the beginning there, he's Kal- or Kaladin is so frustrated with the wrongdoings to these other prisoners these other slaves and that's exactly where moash is right now he's trying to stick up for those who cannot protect themselves so he definitely does have a little caladin moment where he sets aside all his own struggles and charges in to help someone that should really be his enemy right he's just been captured by the parchment and he steps in to save one so that is definitely a very honorable and wind runnery moment is that an adjective? Can I use that as an as, as an adjective? Windrunner. Windrunnery moment. Yes. Yeah. Or is that an adverb? I'm not an English major. Mm-hmm. Me neither. Darn mechanics and scientists don't know how to speak. Fair enough. All right. Anything else from this episode? No, thank you. I'm done. Are you guys? Honest answers, real quick. Are you enjoying time away from our main characters, or is it boring? Just get to the meat of the story, you know. Like we've really taken a pause on some of our main character progressions, and we've really spent a lot of time recently with you know Bridge Four and some some other characters that are not quite our main characters. Are you enjoying these, or are you bored? So I, I have a roundabout answer here. So I I would say I'm indifferent. Like I, I wasn't like, oh man, where's my Kaladin and Shalon and Dalinar chapter? Um, I wasn't thinking that going into these. Um, in fact, I, I, was, I was pretty excited to see these different perspectives. So that, but, but also like with our main characters right now, I feel like there's nothing super exciting going on like back whenever Shalon was kind of chasing an unmade and Kaladin was in the custody of the parchment and things like that I was super invested right now I feel like there's not I feel like our most exciting storyline or perspective the main character is Dalinar which I was is my last point is I'm happy to see that since this is Dalinar's book and historically he I feel like he hasn't been 
the most exciting storyline. There's been lots of cool stuff, but a lot of times it's political drama or rights and wrongs and things like that. But right now, him and his visions are very cool and very exciting, and it's probably what I look forward to most in our in our chapters. I, I'm a big advocate for lore and history and world building. If you just gave me a like a history textbook on Roshar, I'd probably read it cover cover and enjoy like every page of it. But I will say these four chapters in particular did start to feel like a bit of a drag for me. There I'm enjoying learning about these bits, these little secrets that are, you know, getting spoon fed to us little by little. I love all of that. I love, you know, turning over rocks and trying to figure out what's going on. But I am starting to be like, okay. But what happens next? Like, where where are we going next? Are we going to go with Elokar on his invasion of Kolinar? Are we going to get you know another surprise unmade popping out of this? Like, where where are we going with all this? I'm starting to get a little little antsy. Gotcha. Yeah. I, the only reason why I ask is because it's one of the main critiques of Oathbringer is it just drags too too much in the in part two. However. In one of our recent episodes, we've gotten a comment of part three was Oathbringer is not their favorite book by any means, but part three of Oathbringer was their favorite part of any Cosmere book they've ever read. Oh, wow. Wow. That's exciting. Oh, yeah. boy. So we have a lot to look forward to, hopefully. Unless that person is just leading us astray. It's possible. They're, they're taking a, a page out of Trevor's book and they're, you I know, trust. laying some false trails for us. Exactly. Trevor could be making this up too. I would believe that. <laughs> he's got a he's got a cryptic spread, and he's got to tell us lies. You know, I'm kidding. But no, I I trust our commenters. I trust our viewers a lot. So more, I'm very excited that, for part more three. than you trust me. I'm sure. I'm sure it's it's all yes. Zeth content, and that's why it's the best. So can't wait for that. We just take you know 400 pages out of our book and just talk about Zeth for I'm you know. that. I would love that a lot. <laughs> That's all I could ever ask for, actually. (laughs) All right. We will reconvene next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot, on episode 68. Fare thee well. Doodles.